Greetings and salutations to all of our fine podcast listening, watching audience. We are glad that you are here for episode 123. We made it. We made it. Yeah. And my name's Jason. This is Ed to my right, Nathan to my left. We're on the teaching team here at Community Christian Church, which is this YouTube channel that you maybe stumbled upon, or maybe you subscribe to. If you don't, you should. You but should. You Ring should. that bell. Ring the bell. Uh, but anyway, we are uh, answering questions that you guys send to us and uh, hopefully help us all think a little more like Jesus uh, in the way of him and his kingdom uh, about issues that you guys care about. And as I said last week, uh, we got a very specific question somebody wanted us to address. You know, Jason, I just thought, what I don't want to get for you, that when we were talking about ring the bell, okay. we should remember mind people, and we know that a bunch of people do this, we are available on all the audio channels, too. Yes, we are. It appears in fact, that all more, that's in the description. It's all the Spotify, all those places we are, you should go find us. Mm-hmm. If there's a place you want us to be, tell us about it, and yeah. we'll try to get it there, too. And I will say to the audience, you know, not having to look at us is better. It's a plus. Yeah. It is an add-on add, add to your experience. Exactly. So go to your favorite podcasting app and uh, just listen. And you can turn us on. One and a half double speed, <laughs> yeah. and you can be done with this thing yeah. in a lot of times. Exactly you can also right. do that on YouTube. So. You can, you can, you, can. That's you right. can. I do that often. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, I don't know. There's very few podcasts I listen to that I don't speed through them anymore. My daughter this morning came downstairs and said, "Why is that person talking on your phone so fast?" I said, "Because mm-hmm. I make them talk." Fast. Yeah, I, I make everybody on my phone talk fast. Turn it up fast. There are a few podcasts I listen to there that are I can't some. do that because there, there's some people that talk really fast. Well, <laughs> and there's some people that the things they say, I want to hear every word. Me too. So I slow it down. But mm-hmm. most people, I if I get every four, I listen to a couple of music podcasts where they play things and I don't want to have to. Oh, yeah, I, I don't do want to have the well. music doubled. Me so. too. Okay. I'm sorry for getting off on that, but no, I know no. a lot of people do listen to us on audio things. Yeah. Right. For some of you that might only... You might prefer that. We are available and will be available on anything that you tell us you want to. We'll try to get on there. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. So today's question is short and sweet. Unlike last week's question, which had multi-parts, <laughs> yeah. this has really only one major question. And uh, it comes directly, I believe, uh, for, directly from a scripture that I'm going to read to you um, that we're going to talk about for a little bit today. So here's the question. And it comes from an anonymous person once again, so I can't call out your name. But... Anonymous wants to know, should Christians ever sue anybody in court or have anyone arrested? Now, I'm assuming that this question comes from a statement that Jesus said, because Jesus did talk about this in the Sermon on the Mount um, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. So I thought I would just read uh, the relevant passage. I'm going to give it a little bit of context. I can't give the full context, but I'll give it a little bit uh, and lead you into what Jesus said. And then we can jump into a few topics. So... Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, this is where that section begins. He says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is an Aramaic term of contempt, he is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And here's where the most relevant part comes. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. 
Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So reading this in that context, I, I wanted to point out something that I think is important that the example Jesus uses here of suing people in court, going before the authorities, which a lot of people have tried to figure out, is Jesus telling us we should or should not do that? Is that appropriate? Is that not appropriate? Is placed in the middle of a section where he really is talking to us about how we should relate with people with whom we have differences, right. people with whom we disagree. So for our purposes, I think that is the more relevant conversation. And we can touch on the specifics of the court and suing and all of that stuff as we go along. But I believe, and you guys can bounce off of this if you want, but I believe what Jesus' primary focus in this teaching is, is he wants to talk about the condition of our hearts towards people, um, specifically people who are followers of Jesus, people living in the kingdom of God, do not have the type of heart or temperament that immediately uh, seeks to retaliate in anger, to let grudges or conflicts go unresolved. Um, and so I believe that posture should probably inform what we do, whether it comes to legal matters. Well, am, I, am I on the right track? So yeah, I agree, I agree with what you're saying there. And I do think one thing that we often miss, and I want to I wanna look at the scripture again to make right. sure I'm not saying this wrong. Okay. Yeah. Jesus is not talking in this about whether we sue other people. He says, settle matters quickly with someone who is taking you to court. He does. Right. So, and I'm not, so this is not me answering the question, yes, <laughs> sue everybody you can. Yeah. What I'm saying is, this scripture does not say don't take people to court. That's right. This question, this is Jesus saying, when you realize, it's almost like he's painting a story here of saying, imagine you were going to the temple knowing somebody was suing you, that you and another person, someone is taking you to court because you all have a dispute. You're showing up to the temple saying, i got to get right with God mm -hmm. to get God's blessing on this. And he goes, you leave your gift at the altar. Stop messing with your spiritual vertical relationship. Go back to the dude who's trying to take you to court because if you spend all your time just praying on it not dealing with the relationship that dude's going to take you to court you're going to go to jail and you ain't ever going to get out well the go. other thing i know about that or i think i know about that same trying to remember my study on that before mm -hmm. is jesus almost that that account of somebody suing you and he says it's it's almost a proverb he's giving right. of, it's better if you would settle before you go to the judge because if you, if you can settle before you get to the judge you all both can work something out. But when you get to the judge, you don't know what the judge is going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's going to settle one way or the other. And you may wind up, even if you were right, the judge may make a bad call. He's saying over here, it would be better for you guys to work it out, better for your relationship. Might be better for you all the way around. But he's not saying the people that wind up before the judge somehow have done something wrong. Right. Well, well and I think it touches on the, again, <coughs> a hard issue for someone who follows Jesus. My, my intention should never be to only be the winner in right. a conflict. Right. That's right. My intention should be reconciliation. Sure. And so if I lead with reconciliation, what Jesus, I think, is saying is sometimes to go all the way to the court system and the legal system is actually the opposite right. of oh, reconciliation. Sure. And so you could be circumventing what That's Jesus right. thinks is, should be your priority and what the kingdom priority is. And I think he's just saying, look, doesn't mean you might not ever have to go there. It doesn't mean it's a sin to be in court right. if you have to be. But 
the heart of a, a kingdom person is reconciliation. Well, right. and I think this story, so going back even to the, the, yeah. the proverb part that you said, if, if it's almost even a little parable here of mm. Jesus saying, before you come deal with me and you, you go deal with these people. And it's almost like Jesus saying, I'm giving you the authority to, to work these things out before you even bring it to God the Father. Because guess what? God is a judge and you, you're going to wait and say, hey, God, you figure these things out. Because what's going to end up happening in these things, this happens over and over again. There's a part where... Jesus is standing, and this is a, r- a real story, not just a parable, where he's talking and these two guys are coming and they're trying to sue each other over something. Yep. He goes, who made me? <laughs> Why are you bringing these problems? You guys work this Go thing work out. out. Then there's a part in John 20 where Jesus says, um, he breathes the Holy Spirit. He says, anything you forgive on earth mm-hmm. is forgiven. Anything you, re- the sins you retain. Jesus is giving us the authority of the church, among the church, mm. to work out all of this stuff that God has given us forgiveness and he expects us to forgive this whole reconciliation part. So I'm just, that all hit me as you were well, talking then, about the proverb that yes. if the judge could also be a almost parable for God. Instead of just coming to me, look at the other dude that mm-hmm. is in your, in your you know, uh, church family mm-hmm. and work this thing out. Instead of just coming to me and going, God, I don't want to deal with it. You just deal well, with it. Well, I think there, you know, Paul does say in Corinthians, that it's a shame that Christians are suing Christians. It is. He, yes. and, but he does make the distinction. He only talks in the terms of Christians with Christians. Yes. Right. So we, we have because to be it, it affects the witness of the if church. If it affects yes. the witness of the church, you people claim to be family, yep. and you can't work it out mm-hmm. among each other. So I know a lot of people extrapolate that all that way out, but it's really in a, it's really in a, a very small context of a church community. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's. I think that's a good. Thing too, just to talk about for the Sermon on the Mount in general, because I know we recently had a whole thing on nonviolence. We had that conversation. That was a podcast or two. Yeah, it's about two or three ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we had the whole thing. And there's a way in which when people read the Sermon on the Mount, we either totally make it a metaphor and say, when Jesus <laughs> says, "Turn the other cheek," you don't need to. He do doesn't anything. really mean it. But then there's a very like positive command literalization of it of. Anytime someone physically assaults you, you have to stand there and take it. And I think that is missing the heart of what Jesus is saying. I was having this conversation with my girls the other day. They were talking about something of we were to go with the thing. And someone punches me. And I don't think I could just let someone punch me and not do something. I said, well, just to be clear, when Jesus says, Jesus, when, when he says don't resist an evil person, he doesn't mean don't push someone off you. He doesn't mean, he doesn't even mean that in order to keep yourself or someone else safe, that you don't ever get into a physical confrontation with somebody. What he's saying is your goal is to never inflict harm or to, or to think that violence is an answer in a solution. And I think it's the same thing here. I think the thing Jason said, the heart of this is, Move towards reconciliation. It is not a positive law that says if you end up in a courtroom, you have somehow disappointed God, or that we shouldn't ever, that during the civil rights movement, the NAACP uh, violated the justice of God to bring lawsuits against. Uh, the government or anything that yes. when there's that you can't use the court system. Oh, well, because to bring we know Paul at one point is beaten unjustly, yeah. and he says he appeals. You can't, you can't, you can't beat a Roman citizen, and yeah. you guys already did. Yeah, and they're afraid at that point because yes. they know they're. A, so he appeals to the law. He does. So we know that Christians can appeal to the law if they're in the right. So there's nothing wrong. Yeah. with any of that. And that was my next part that I wanted us to get to. Having said everything we said up front about the focus of reconciliation and 
helping to, Christians ought to be, you know, reconciliation first, dealing with people first before resorting to legal means. On the flip side of that, I did not want to leave the impression that, like you guys said, that there is not a time or a place where that isn't, is an appropriate right. response. So we do, I believe, we do have the moral obligation to hold people accountable for bad behavior. Of course. And, and I think that's pretty well bared out in Scripture. Well, it's no different than with my kids. I have a responsibility to hold my kids responsible for bad behavior mm -hmm. because it is what's best for them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't stop when it gets to an adult. Mm -hmm. There's always a chance for an adult that is, is caught in habitually bad behavior to get their way that if somebody can finally get them to stop, there is a chance mm -hmm. that they can open their heart and see that I've been going down the wrong path. Yeah. But if people let me keep walking down that path, there's no reason for me to think I should change. Yeah. And so there is a love for human beings that say this can't happen. The tough part is that the first thing you had us think about is the right thing. Mm -hmm. I can't let my border become a wall that I hope will destroy you. Right. If my heart is, I'm going to throw you in jail because that's where people like you deserve to be. Right. You low down, good for nothing person. Yes. Yep. When I begin to label you as less than human and that's who goes to our jails, mm. I've crossed the line. That's right. I Those are full human beings. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping yeah. that there is something that will help them in that place. Well, if you believe in the redemptive power of the of God... Right, you 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 cannot cross that line That's and right. truly believe yeah. in that. You know, right. it's why you know I, a lot. Like you said, a lot of people lean lean toward that. You know, people in jail are just dirty, no good for nothing. Let's all throw them away. I think being a follower of Jesus, I, I don't think I could take that position because it it then I think diminishes God and, right. and what His you That's know. Right what he is trying to accomplish through the, the kingdom work that we're all supposed to be doing, which is bringing back everyone, no matter how far that right. they have gone. does not mean that I tolerate their behavior. doesn't mean I allow it to go on. We were just having this discussion before we hit record about some scandals that keep coming right. out within the, within the church of sexual abuse happening within churches. And there were people at the time who held back from holding these perpetrators accountable. They did not go to the authorities. Right. Right. We would all say that that was evil and wrong. That's and unfortunately, right. Christians, and I'll just say churches, have a tendency when there is um, abuse or there is, or I'll even say even if it's not even that, mm -hmm. someone steals from the church oh, yeah. and there's this idea of, well, we don't want to get the authorities involved. And mm -hmm. it feels, and this is where we talked last week about feelings being, you know, a good thing, but there are ways that feelings can get out. It feels ungracious mm. and unforgiving. To, it's, it's like we're not giving this person a second chance and everyone can be forgiven. Forgiveness does not erase the consequences no. of, of, and especially when uh, someone is doing repetitive behavior mm. that does not seem like it's going to stop just because you say, nope, we're, we're not going to do this, that, that there is a way to move forward in that well, way. Well, and part of the work of redemption that needs to be done in that person is once a person crosses a line to take it, have taken advantage and to abuse another human being made in the image of God, then if I know about that and I do not take some type of action that will prevent that from happening again and will at least 
put this person in a position who's the perpetrator to then maybe have redemption take place right. and to get a yes. second chance. But they shouldn't just be given second chance after second chance after second chance without some type of structure and boundaries placed around oh, that well, so that that yeah. can happen. It's not really redemption at that point. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of feeling tied up around the word love that we have that it's always soft. Yeah. And it always must, whatever is the most storybook romantic kind of look at it, that's what, if I'm going to be loving toward my enemies, I have to have these feelings toward them. I have to let them totally off the hook. I have to let these things go. And yet, we all, any parent that tries to apply that to their kids probably needs to be taken to defects. <laughs> right. Because right. if... Every time your kid does something wrong when they're little and you let them get away from it because you don't want to have the hard feeling of feeling bad that you had to draw a boundary and you made them cry, they're eventually going to become a person that no one in society can deal with. Yeah. And there are places we put those people none of us deal with. That's right. And you may have felt like you were loving all along. So I, I, I could be, I've had many times of sitting in my office with people where they finally have come to the place where they say the worst day of my life when I finally got caught. And I, I've said to a couple of people I was close enough to, you know, what most people look at as the worst day of my life was where my little kingdom, where it finally became clear to me I could not continue to live the way I was because there was bad things, really bad things going to happen to me. And it all came out what I'd been doing. That wasn't, the, that was the very best day of my life. The very best day of my life was when I got caught. The very best day of my life was when it all got exposed because that was the first time there was a chance to be changed and healed. Yes. All the bad days of my life were pe people that saw me doing it and decided, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm not going to stand up to that guy. I'm not going to stop that. Those were the bad days of my life. The good days were when somebody finally helped me see. Now, they did it out of hatred. <laughs> admittedly, yeah. but that I push people to that place, okay? But that was a great day that I had to change. Well, it's like I, I met a guy uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, and I went to shake his hand, and he goes, oh, I can't shake your hand. And, uh, I, you know, with everything going on in the world, I thought, oh, maybe he just doesn't want to shake hands. And then he said, I can't because I've broken my hand. And I said, how did you break your hand? He goes, well, it's actually the second time and it's about to be a third time. And I said, that's a weird yeah. statement. So he explained, he said, I punched a wall. And uh, and he goes, I did it and I broke my hand. He goes, and then I punched the wall again. And I said, okay. And he goes, but I never went to the doctor for it. And he said, and it's healed up and it's really painful. And I said, so the third time is, and he said, yeah, I've got to go to the doctor and they're going to have to break my hand again in order to set it. Mm -hmm. And that is what consequences do. There is a pain that comes across. That's right. There's a brokenness that happens to me when I choose to wound another person. And no matter how small, I mean, that's, that's just right. true, no matter how small, yeah. but it's not that sin is greater, it's not any of that, but there, there is a line that I cross um, when it when it moves from just a, a wound to a, a pattern of abusive behavior. There's something that happens to my soul the more that I allow that to happen, and it is like a broken broken hand. And over time, it'll callous up, and scar tissue will start to form around. And sometimes, um, one, the most loving thing you can do for the victim 
is to is to often get the police involved or get the authorities involved and help that. So first, the victim also needs to be loved. But also, it is a loving thing to go in mm-hmm. and have consequences on that person because it might be the only thing that allows the Holy Spirit to re-break that hand, reset those bones, and make things go the way it was supposed to go. And let me say on the other side of that as well, because you have a great analogy there of I have to love the victim and the perpetrator. Mm. The tough part for victims is loving them does often become very soft, but we don't ever confront them of, you hating this person is breaking your hand. Oh, that's right, yeah. The grudge and the... I have to help you immediately. I've helped remove, there is a boundary, but I have to immediately help you go, this is a human being over here. I think about, you know, one of the best illustrations of my life of I think the way this was done right was when the young white supremacists went in the Charleston church and sat down, had Bible study with them for 45 minutes, and then at the right moment gunned a bunch of them down. And then in a few days in the hearing, a couple of family members stood up at his arraignment and said, I forgive you. I want you to know I forgive you because of what Christ has done for me. I forgive you. And, of course, you know there was other siblings of that faint. I remember one of the siblings was mad that their sibling forgave the person. But they said, you still have to be held accountable for what you've done. Absolutely. My forgiveness does not, you have to be accountable for you killing my mother. Mm. That's the right balance. That's I've right. already worked with Jesus. I'm praying for you. I'm hoping this changes your life. You're a young man. There's hope for redemption. But you have to be held accountable. Yeah. And that's where the redemption actually begins to form. It, it is. It has begun to fully form in the person who forgives because right. now that person has the ability to, to begin to f- figure out how to move forward and to heal from this. Yeah. And it opens the door for that young man to see the gospel. That's right. And um, that, that's, the whole, that's, that's the reconciliation that's piece right. that we talked about. And it can happen back up line. You know, murder, I think it's sometimes easier for us to see. Oh, I, I think I could do that in murder. I don't know why you think that, but I've heard people... I, but I can't do it back out here. They stole $1,000 from me. Yeah. I, I should hold them accountable, yeah. but I don't hold it against them. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I, I, well, and you know that. I, I can hold them accountable. You owe me $1,000, and I, I won't, you know, I, I didn't give you a gift. I can't afford to give you the gift. I would have given you a gift if I could. But I am letting them get away with something that eventually will. I'm not saying they're going to murder somebody, <laughs> but it is a little. It's a little broken bone that doesn't ever get set right, and it, it'll have to be reformed at some point for them to become the person. It's a part of the role we play for each other in communities, right. but it's on both sides. Yes. I can become so righteous in holding everybody accountable that I stand as the judge of every human being, and, I'm right. and I do not have that role. I am a broken person doing yes. this. That's right. So I think in... You know, the last point I wanted us to, to bring up is Jesus, if you take the full context of the Sermon on the Mount, when he's, he is really leading up to what I think is pretty much the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you love your enemies. And I think a lot of this stuff is, is, an, uh, is him extrapolating on that one core piece, and that's what we've been talking about. An enemy is someone who, you know, winds up taking advantage of me or uh, harms me, even abuses me or uh, even remains unrepentant for what they've done and they are unforgiving uh, of, or, or a person who is unforgiving. It is, 
it is how we love, even though it is, and, I, and like you said, Ed, it's, it's not always the soft thing. It is holding people accountable, but that is still love. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it. I think it's when you get down to. Um, I love the. Uh, I think it's New Living Translation of full and abundant life of being rich and satisfying. I was talking to someone the other day of. I think when we we tend to think of, um, you know, that this is going to make things better or that following Jesus is going to make things easier. I, you know, we, we we sometimes use that language, and I said, you know, a lot of. A lot of it's not going to be easier, and a lot of it's not going to feel better, but it is going to be more rich and satisfying. That um, There's been a, just a very difficult relationship in my life for years, and there was a period because of the, the bad behavior in that relationship that I did uh, have to take a, a, a break. There had to be a consequence of being able to interact in this relationship. And I remember saying at the time, because um, it was a long period, I remember saying, <laughs> This is the best this relationship's ever been because I don't ever speak to this person. <laughs> it's way better. It was better. It was easier. I always had in my head, and secretly I'm going to be thinking all these. But I never thought of them. I never. I it was because it was easier because I never had to think of them. But it was not more rich and satisfying. Mm. That a rich and satisfying life is the one where I can be a person who deals with someone who does have bad behavior, does have to be held accountable, does have to have consequences. And this is what I have learned on being on the side of sometimes having bad behavior come towards me, that there have to be consequences. When you don't give consequences, there is a way in which uh, you become more judgmental and more because your your judging motives, your everything this person says or does, you start quitting. What's the secret thing behind that? Because you don't want to just give a consequence and be the person to say this. And I think this about a lot, a lot with parenting. I see a lot of parents go, you know, my kid, especially, and I'm, I'm talking more about the time they're a teenager, because you maybe didn't give all the consequences mm, when they're little. Yes. You start to say, well, they're snotty and they're mm-hmm. bratty. And you have all these motives you have now placed on your child. I always want to say, yeah, I saw that when they were five. Right. <laughs> I, I like them then. <laughs> but now you have placed all these motives yeah. on someone that you deeply love. This is your child. That's right. And you deeply love them. The benefit of consequences is I don't ever have to judge your motive. Once I tell you, hey, when you say things like this, or you do th- or you tell me you're going to be here and you're not going to be here, or whatever the thing is, you keep using drugs, you keep behaving this way. When I put a consequence, I don't even have to judge your motives. Because I go, hey, this is what we agreed that was going to happen when this happens. And I and every parent knows that. I didn't know that until I was a parent. They weren't just making it up when they say, this hurts me more than it hurts oh, you. Yeah. It does hurt to give consequences to someone you love. Because you want to convince yourself, well, they, they, they'll stop. They'll stop. They feel bad and it won't ever happen. But when you give the consequences, I now get to have compassion for them. Because I do see how the consequence does cause them pain. Right. And I go, man, I wish you didn't have to feel that. Man, yeah. I, I wish the police didn't have to get involved. Man, I wish this yeah. didn't have to happen. And now I feel pity mm-hmm. and compassion, not judgment that they do this and they hurt me and they don't even care. They don't even care that they hurt me. Well, maybe because their hand's broken and they don't know it. It's funny you mention that because I just literally had this conversation with a parent this past Sunday at church. I had a mom talk to me about disciplining the, her teenager and she talked about, you know, I feel like I'm just, I, I give in too easy. I, you know, she wears me down, all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, you know, why is that? Why do you think that is? And she, she, said, she said, it's just because I feel so bad for drawing boundaries. Right. Because, because I see the pain in my child. Mm. And I said, what you fail to understand is that parenthood 
is suffering. Oh, yeah. It has to be. I said, if you don't suffer with your child, your child is not being formed in any fashion. You are basically just, you're, you're parenting yourself Yep. you know, loving your, you know, loving yourself more than you're loving your child. Yep. I said any kind of discipline is painful, like you said, on me as the parent. If it's not, then I'm not doing it right. That's right. And well, it's also not coming from a place of love. And I said you've got to stop equating love with pain-free. You've got to see that love sometimes is involving boundaries and pain on both sides. Well, and love by its nature, love defined by the cross, will always be suffering, self-sacrificial love. Exactly. In any relationship, not just parenting, it has to be that in my relationships with you, and sometimes, and I know it doesn't feel this way, but it's true, giving consequences or holding people accountable or sometimes getting the authorities involved, it is painful to the person who has to do it. Yes. And it does feel like suffering. But it allow it breaks open your heart, as you were talking about, even with the grudge. It breaks open my heart a little bit that now I stop seeing this person just as the thing they have done, and it allows me to go. Oh, God never intended for you to be this way, mm-hmm. God. And because I said that to somebody the other day, of when Jesus forgave sins, He wasn't just forgiving your personal sins. There is a healing process to it because when you get to know people well enough, the sins that I commit are most often directly related to a sin that was committed to me, that something happened to me. I mean, you look at people who are just broken and, and you see it. You know, I've done foster care now for multiple years. And you see these children and they do have sinful behavior that they are lashing out towards other people. But you know by the fact that they're in foster care, there was sin committed to them. And the way I said it to somebody is, how do you unscramble those eggs? You know. Do I do I now blame you? Because this person is both a victimizer mm-hmm. and, a victim. and a victim. And that's what Jesus comes in and suffers. He goes, the only way it's going to get fixed is for the only person who has never victimized anybody, the only person mm-hmm. who's never engaged in sin, to allow all the sin to come onto them. And it and it makes it possible for this to happen. That This goes back to the conversation we had last podcast. Our response then to other people's sins is the same thing. I'm, I'm going to have to enter into this, and that may it may feel like suffering to call the cops. It, yeah, because it is, it is suffering. It is suffering. It, 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 it doesn't just feel like suffering. Yes. I am taking on your, your, your suffering. Sin. Yes. You did something, and I'm going to draw the consequences at a parent or a friend or somebody that you just interacted with, and I'm going to take on your suffering. But I will not dehumanize you. Yes. I won't make you into less than human. I will do this out of love for you, which it hurts more to do it out of love. Oh, yeah. To do oh, it man. out of anger, to do it, you're... you're That's cutting so, it off. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I cut off I all cut the feelings off. I have. I sit with a parent regularly in my life whom I love dearly, and he has always talked to me about a particular child of his that he had had to do some of these actions towards was forced into it. And I'm telling you, that dad has suffered. Yes. Now, of course, his son is suffering too. Yes. But he suffers, and I feel it every time we're together. Yep. But it's suffered, like you said, it is love. It's love that's that is suffering. Because, suffer. because if it was anger, it wouldn't matter. Oh, no. You know, get rid of him. Yep. Throw him in the, throw him into jail. Y'all deal with him. Put him over right. to the authorities. Yep. It's painful every time, and he longs for that to, to be co- a corrective moment in his son's life. 
but so far it and every time hasn't. he's hopeful which every that time. again shows every, every time. time he's hopeful that's right. yeah that's right <clears throat> well so i think the answer to the question we've gone around about but yeah. is it okay for christians to sue people or to have people arrested or any of that I think the easiest, we should never be quick to do it. Sure. We should never be people that my first response, because mm-hmm. Jesus does make that. The yeah. first response in any kind of thing is to address it with the person. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think there are times that it is the appropriate response. And I would just say again, just to get the full weight of Scripture, if you're a Christian and the other person's a Christian and you all both are committed, it would be better to work that out in Christian community. Yes. And our elders have tried to help some people with that before. Of if you're willing to agree to meet with a Christian mediator and not go to court, and let's work this out in yes. Christian community. But both parties have to agree to that, and if you don't, well, then you know it is. I know people like these days to have really clear, non-nuanced answers, yeah. and they just ain't the way the, the it's, not, the, it's not the way the gospel works. It's not the way. This is all nuanced of me giving myself up for you, and the answers look different. Can you use these tools? You can. They come, they're the kind that you have to have a warning thing on them. Yep. There's potential for you to do your heart to get hard if you don't do the hard work to nuance these tools. Yes. So I would. You ne- need to do yes. it. Yes. You need to draw boundaries. Yes. You may have to go to court. You may have to have somebody arrested. You need to do the hard work, which probably means you need to do it in community with some people that will help you. Yep. As long while you're helping the other person. Totally agree. All right. So uh, that wraps that one up. And uh, we have another question on tap for next week about parenting. Somebody wants us to help explain a verse in the Bible concerning parenting. So we're going to talk about that next week. And then we'll get to the big long list. Did someone ask when it's okay to stone your child? Is that the question out of the Bible? I think think we'll talk about that. Okay, all right. I didn't know. I was about to say. Hold them all in suspense. We might need to get Children's stonings will be talked about. I'll just say there are a lot of people I know got kids on medicines that would have been called stoning back when I was. That's true. That's right. That's a a whole other story. Kids to get stoned. That's a whole other category, but we'll talk about them next week. See y'all. Have a good one.